morning. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is Chloe Foster and we are live in the studio on this very special Sunday morning. Today is Mother's Day and I better say a very happy Mother's Day to my own mum, Debbie out there. I know she will be tuning in today as she usually does even when I don't host. <laughs> Um, And happy Mother's Day to all the mothers, the grandmothers, the plant mums, the aunts, the mother figures, those that aren't yet, those that don't want to be, those that wish they were. Have a lovely day regardless uh, of it being Mother's Day. Um, We've got a good start to the day. I have two wonderful people in the studio with me this morning. We've got Greg Balderston, a fungi and bulb enthusiast uh, who works up at Forest Glade Nursery. Uh, Gardens, gardens in the yeah. Macedon Ranges, <laughs> and Jane Tonkin, horticulturalist and rare bulb grower and expert in oh. the Macedon, in the Dandenong Ranges. So welcome to you both. <laughs> Good morning, Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> I was just a bit taken aback then. I've got expert and horticulturalist in the one sentence. I think we can yeah. give you those titles pretty safely. Yeah. Um, just as long as everyone knows I'm actually not qualified. <laughs> <laughs> You're not the only one. There's a lot of people out there that really know their yeah. stuff. Well, just sometimes experience, I think, um, outweighs the books at times. So you've but you've been doing um, it forever, haven't you? Oh, yeah, you? yeah, yeah. Yeah. She makes it sound like a long time. But <laughs> no, I, well, I know you guys have a really interesting setup. You you run Tonkin's Bulbs up yep. in the Dandenong Ranges. Yeah. Tell me about the history of and the start-up of Tonkin's Bulbs. Okay. It's a really cool story. Yeah, so it began with my dad. He came back after training in Calgary in the Second World War, so he was a um, pilot. And um, so we rented off Melbourne Water, this large acreage of land, and um, grew a lot of cut flowers, so gladiolus and things like that, Um, but also a lot of vegetables, so potatoes, carrots and all that were the staple um, to keep the family going. And that sort of fed a passion of rare and unusual with him. So the business grew from his love of something rare and unattainable and hard to grow. And now it's sort of the cut flowers are sort of a little bit on the side, although mm. we still need to pick peony crops and waratahs and things to sustain my habit here. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so then um, he married mum in 1969 and from there they did it all together with Your Garden magazine originally, then printed catalogues that got far too expensive to sort of send out to everybody. And we lost Dad 25 years ago. Um, So since then, Mum and I have gone online. Um, Mm. So there's two catalogues a year. Most of the time you can't see a lot other than what sort of things that we have to offer. You can't see the specific species that you can buy until the catalogues are live. So... Mm. um, how do people get those catalogues? Um, well, you can email me at sales at tonkinsbulbs.com.au and we have an email list to let you know when um, each of the catalogues is online. So the winter one will hopefully be the end of May, but I'm a little bit sort of under the pump planting <laughs> everything back. Um, as much as everyone says, you know, you can plant all your spring flowering bulbs through into May, generally they need to be in by the middle of April. So... Um, Jane's being a bit hypocritical here because I'm really not done yet, but <laughs> um, trying my best. So the catalogue will be a bit late, so it'll yep. be about the end of May. So if you just drop me a, like, just so that I know that you want to be bothered by the two emails a year, because spam emails are one thing that just drive me nuts, so I try not to do that to 
my customers. So. I think two is something that people can deal with. Yeah. Yep. And if they can't, they can always just send me an email and say, please don't let me know anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yep. that's how it all began. Yeah. And, um, yeah, hopefully we'll be around for a long time. I hope so too. Mm. Where, how do you get the bulbs in? Where do you get them from? How do you cultivate them? Okay. We, Loaded question. We basically start from seed on everything which is becoming a little bit more um, of a concern of trying to get seed into this country. Um, things now need a phytosanitary certificate with them from registered seed companies and things. So um, we sort of have to rely on basically what's here in Australia mm. for a while too. Um, there's a lot of home gardeners and things that have this amazing stuff that you can't, regular gardens can't purchase because um, there's not, no one's doing it on a commercial scale. So that's what we try and do, at least have, you know, 20 or 30 of something to offer each season so that it shares all of that around because there's a lot of things um, that are endangered in their wild habitats and things and I think protecting those sort of plants and bulbs mm. and stuff is really, really important as gardeners and as growers and sellers of plants as we are. Um, but most of it is, you know, cross-pollination, self-pollination, um, and then, you know, bulbs increasing by m making their own bulbs and mm. things and um, scaling bulbs and things like that. Like, it takes a long time. And certain things can take, you know, um, over 10 years from seed to flowering. So it is right. a long process. And, yeah. and I'm not a very patient person. So <laughs> That's what you have to learn to be. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's an interesting field, and especially when it's something that you um, have a passion and love for. And to me, when someone says, no, you won't be able to grow that, that's you know, it's a bit of a challenge. <laughs> um, and it's not always successful. Um, we always have a bit of tears and, and things that go wrong as well. So, you know, that's the other thing about gardening. You give it a go. Yeah. Um, and give something different a go, I think is. Yeah. Yeah. Greg, you grow a lot of bulbs as well. Yeah, I was, was going to say too, the, the seed part's important for the genetic diversity and raising healthy, uh, like a, a group of plants rather than an individual, like trying to clone an individual, um, which is why I like the, always like the species bulbs as well, mm. um, is that you get a, little bit of diversity in them anyway and if you've instead of buying one bulb for ten dollars one rare little treasure for ten dollars for a tiny little bulb and you know 15 years later you might have three or something <laughs> if you buy spend the same amount of money on a packet of seeds of that species you'll end up in five years with a nice little healthy uh, colony of them yeah. and you've got that deeper gene pool and it's important, like Jane was saying, a lot of this stuff's uh, extinct or uh, endangered in its wild habitats and to keep these uh, little gene pools alive around the world, you know, j just, uh, you know, whether, whether they go back into the wild at some point or just the fact that we don't lose them mm. uh, is, is really important. So most of the collection... I had was grown from seed from South Africa and different seed exchanges around the world when seeds were a lot easier to get in. And anything rare that I had over the past few years, I've given away to people who I know 
A will appreciate them, mm. and B will share them on further mm. when they've got enough. Uh, so I think at one stage I had, and Jane would have many more than this, but about 700 species of bulbs at one point. Wow. No, I think he might actually top me there. No, I <laughs> yeah. So, and, and a lot of those were from seeds, and some, some of them uh, um, you probably would have received seeds from the Archibalds in, in England. Oh, Jim and Jenny. Yeah, yes. so yep. I only found about, out about Jim uh, sadly, just after he died. So, um, and I'd written a letter to his wife Jenny, and she essentially sent me over a thousand pounds of seeds for free. So she wow. basically just went through his old seed collection and thought, "Well, what am I going to do with it now?" So she just yeah. shoved them all in a thing and this sent is, them over. This person that's actually handwritten me a letter and, yes. and mm, taken yeah. the time to to sort of seek us out and all that sort of thing, and then she she would have just gone, "I'm giving yep. it to him." Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And. There's some amazing stuff coming out of those seeds, and some of them were quite old too, and that, and that was why as well. She's like, well, you know, they might. She said there might be some past seed use by date, but mm. you never know. You've got to try. try. Yeah, 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 chuck them out anyway. So here they are, yeah. and yeah, some amazing stuff come out out of there. And what's uh, the shelf life of some of these seeds? Does it vary? Yeah, as varies. Wildly, yeah, as we yeah. gather plant yeah. seeds. So yeah. I think there's col chickens might hold their viability for ten years or so. In yeah. fact, I, I've heard stories and had some experience myself on sowing colchicum seeds that don't germinate for eight years. Yes. Wow. So, so these little six-inch pots with a colchicum <laughs> tag in them, you never throw them out because you yeah. don't know whether... Well, the tag's all faded and the weeds yeah. are there and then there's this one little colchicum that comes yeah. up. Yeah. So yeah, you wouldn't want to weed it in case you accidentally pulled the... Yeah. Well, I don't like weeding yeah. anyway. So <laughs> that's yeah. the reason why I like growing bulbs because <laughs> yeah. letting weeds grow up in some of the pots isn't actually that detrimental. Right. I'd like to, to employ do. just a weeder. That would be good. Yeah. <laughs> they look nice. I've a friend who I... So, so when I say I gave a lot of the bulbs away, some of the rarest stuff in the past few years, I've actually literally given the whole, the whole lot uh, of that genus to some really good growers. Mm. And one in particular, John Flens, uh, up around Mount Macedon, grows these... Uh, uh, everything in terracotta pots, and they're just amazing. Like he, he's an amazing grower. So he, he'll put something in a pot, and it, everything will be flowering all at the same time with nice gravel under base. And he might even have a nice little rock in the pot, or and they just look stunning. It looks like something out of the Alpine Garden Show uh, when they when they display their pots for the yeah. show. Um, he's extremely accomplished. He's he's an amazing grower, yeah. but and I, a good I, that, human too. He's a yeah, really nice and that's like, oh, even yeah. yeah, and that's yeah. why I I uh, was happy to give him uh, my frittle areas and a few other things that hopefully he's doing okay with. Uh, and Craig Gardner's another really amazing grower who who uh, not only grows things well, but you know they look good and and he's these people are generous, and so it's like well. He, I, I haven't got time for this anymore. Mm. I've got other other stuff that mm. I'm sort of interested in now a bit more. And uh, um, and yeah, passing them on to people like that ensures that they will also share with people that they know that they know are interested mm. and are generous. And yeah, get that sort of swapping around. And of course, we've still got to buy some from. Tonkins as well. Cause, <laughs> well, and, and so you got to, so, yeah. but the seed, the seed growing from seeds really important. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the start, I'd buy one bulb from somewhere, and be years yeah. later, and it's, I've only got three. Yeah. But like I say, you get the seed, and you've got this little uh, puddle of DNA that can, you know, you, 
adapt to your conditions and things over over a couple of generations if you're sowing the seed. And I think if you're growing bulbs uh, as a bit of a hobby or a passion, the what you're after, the, the reason you grow them is for the seeds. So it's nice when they flower. It's nice when you dig up the bulbs and you look at their interesting tunics mm. or, or all the other things that are amazing about growing bulbs. Um, the main thing you should be growing them for is to get some seed off them so, so you can share the seed with someone or, or, you know, increase that little gene pool that you've got. Now, tell me, guys, what does a bulb seed actually look like? I'm going to guess that it will vary depending on the species of the bulb, but I'm no bulb expert, so I'm going to learn a lot of you guys today. Like, what do they look like? What size are they? I've only ever seen the actual bulb. I've never seen the seed from one of these types of plants. De- depending on um, what genre it is, uh, like Liliaceae family tends to be um, these quite flat, papery, or it's almost mm. sort of wind, silken. Wind you, yeah. yeah, they're sort of wind dispersed uh, yeah. seeds, so they're winged, yeah. flat, light wing seeds. And, and a lot of narcissists, like... like uh, how big are the lily uh, ones? Can any, anywhere from the size of a match head through to, like, the cardiocrinum. big cardiocrinum gets to <laughs> um, probably about the size of your fingernail, kind of. Right. Um, but in cardiocrinum gigantium, the big Himalayan lily, um, probably has the most sexy seed <laughs> of all. Yeah, like they, it is, it's this silky, beautiful. Um, yeah, these large, yummy seeds. So, so yeah, the, the <laughs> liliums, uh, tulips, fritillarias. Uh, the cardiocrinums yeah. and those uh, from that Liliaceae family, as a, they're quite light, wind-dispersed seeds. Mm-hmm. The disc seed in the centre of the, the actual seed itself, and then it's got a light sort of uh, uh, papery mm. uh, wing on it to sort of disperse it a little bit in the in the breeze. Mm. Yeah. And then the, the daffs and amaryllis and sort of things have got more fleshy... Yeah, chunky seeds that don't last very long tend tend to not last as long as some of the others. Yeah, shelf life's not very yeah. good. And then things like alliums are like like large poppy seeds almost that oh. do last quite. A, I think alliums have pretty long shelf yeah. life for their seeds. Um, small then, if they're yeah yeah like small small black little poppy seed mm-hmm. things, a bit bigger than that, but mm-hmm. that sort of hard. You know, they they're quite hard, and uh, the the coating on them actually under a microscope. Uh, it's almost hygrophobic to begin with by the looks of it until you actually soak them or something. They've got these sort of carbon fibre little shells around them that's oh. uh, interesting to look under a microscope at. Yeah. Um, and then what, what there's uh, things like crocuses that are a bit more fleshy. Yeah, like and you would picture a seed. And cyclamen, yeah. That, yeah, that uh, are intended to just fall around the mother plant, so to speak. Very short and, yeah. shelf life. Yeah, and for those. a lot of those things you'll find, especially with cyclamen seed, that ants and things carry them away. Um, and that's how they're naturally sort of mm. dispersed in, in so the wild a, as well. A sticky sort of layer yeah. in the seed capsule. So if you're going, if you're trying to collect them by hand, you're going to end up with sticky, horrible stuff all over your hands. <laughs> um, and but it's sweet, and the ants, yeah. So you get cyclamens popping up in little cracks yeah. and pavement and rock walls Cute. and things like that because yeah. the ants drag them in there and then mm. forget about them or or decide yeah. they're not tasty after they've eaten. Yeah, the, they're just eating the, the sticky yep. yeah. nectar. Yeah. Which is probably what the plant intends to do. Yeah, and these a lot of these are out of obviously out of context as well. And I think that's the interesting thing is thinking about 
the habitats that they've came from and the environment that it's come from. And, like, South Africa is a really good example of all these weird pollinators. So you almost... Some of the South African stuff you've got to pollinate by hand because uh, this weird hoverfly doesn't exist in Australia and can't mm. pollinate it anymore. So you've got these really long perianth tubes with nectar down the bottom of these you know, really long tubes for... Yeah. Where they're we probo- don't have yeah. proboscis sort of insects. We haven't got that, any insects yeah. that would be able to pollinate those things or um, Hesperantha and Gladiolus that open in the evening or something to attract a certain pollinator or change colour and have perfumes at night time like some of the gladys, the best gladys do, my favourite gladys. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I agree. Um, yeah. And, yeah, they, so they only put perfume out of an evening and sometimes change, change colour at night. Uh, to attract a species of moth. Um, and they're the good uh, ones to grow because a lot of people work a nine-to-five job and you, you miss out when on you that. get home at night. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, good idea. So but then you're Gladiolus liliaceus is the, yeah. the one. <laughs> and my favourite uh, at night. There's, uh, Recurvus is another really nice mm. one that changes colour, not quite as dramatically often, but it still changes colour. And the, the, the perfume's amazing mm. too. It's It's... I don't even know. It's like a, it's like uh, Oriental lilies almost, but yeah. sweeter or peppier. Pe- it's got a bit of pep- pepper in it or something. I'm not really sure. It's, it's just a delight. The worst thing is, is they've got really sharp leaves. So when you bend down oh. at night time, yeah. you sniff them and get stabbed <laughs> in the face. Um, they've got the leaves on those buddies. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you're out there at eleven o'clock at night pollinating them then. With a little paintbrush or something. Well, some yeah, seeds. or or really early morning, because um, okay. often on a cloudy um, spring morning, there's still um, that smell and the pollen still dehisced or whatever. And um, the, col- really, the colours can be more interesting in the morning sometimes. Yeah, too, as they're they, changing back. Yeah, as they because yeah. they they don't just go all right now I'm purple, and then in the morning go well now I'm sort of terracotta again. They, they, there's Depending on, I've watched it over the years, and I think it has to do with humidity and and temperature and a range of things that makes them change the colour. Mm. And I've noticed after thunderstorms, I no, don't know if you've ever noticed no. this, but after thunderstorms they'll change colour in the in the sort of warm humidity during the day. Okay, interesting. So so you get, uh, I've got a series of photos from years ago that I took of an in, one individual flower and it's four different colours, like distinct colours. From the terracotta orange that they sort of usually are, a deep sort of um, mauvey purple that they are at night, and then uh, sort of grey, greenish, uh, purpley, maroon sort of colour. And this, it's just one flower, and it's got these like quite Is distinctive colours. Is that liliasis? Yeah, it's liliasis, yeah. yeah. Um, you sort of wonder whether the humidity in that sort of promotes a different insect that they might sort of double up on. Yeah, or maybe, yeah. Um, that would be interesting. The perfume's always the same, so uh, and that's yep. what makes you think, what's the colour change for? Because does it reflect... I've got a UV torch now, I might try it this year, but does it reflect UV mm. light differently or... Um, oh, maybe. Uh, yeah. But the, the first time I ever saw Lilasis was actually on Jane's stall at one of the rare plant fairs, and it was the first year I'd had a, a, a stall at one of the rare plant fairs with my old nursery, and... I just finished setting up. It was about ten o'clock at night. No one else was on the on the lot at the Mount Macedon Hall where it was the, that time. Um, and I just had a quick look around at all the other stalls and noticed these beautiful 
lovely smelling purple gladiolus. <laughs> and then when I went back the next day, it's like, where do they go? There's, there's just these orangey terracotta yeah, ones okay. here. Where did the purple ones go? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, uh, so. That's pretty cool. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, to figure out that that was the same plant that the <laughs> night before was purple was like, oh, I've never heard of that before. It It'd be really cool to put a camera on it. Like, you know, yeah. in, the, in the David Attenborough documentary yeah. that have that, you know, where they progressively watch something grow? Yeah, to put that on it overnight. I've done uh, time lapse of, like, crocuses opening, yeah. which is really interesting because yeah. it happens in, like, ten minutes, or oxalis because they open up quite quickly. Um, so, yeah, you bring well, there's them. there's a task for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, one's a bit, that one's a bit of a long, longer-term one, though. Cause <laughs> yeah. I, Make sure the batteries I'm, are charged. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be... Uh, like a photo every minute or two for a couple of hours, I yeah. think, to get that sort of sort of. Yeah. But they do, I guess it is within an hour that they change. They change, but it's yeah. really yeah. subtle. So, yeah. If yeah, it's, it's not. Yeah, it's not just instant sort of. It's from not like a squid. It's not yeah, like no. a squid camouflaging <laughs> in the rocks where it just flushes a different colour. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, but it people people don't believe you when you say it. This flower changes colour at night. They all go, oh, it does not. Mm. But, it, but so I'm yeah. Greg sitting here, and he can oh, attest to this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. amazing. Um, um, but and but as I say, it's not the same either. It's never the same. It always each from year to year they're slightly different. Like some years will be really strong mauve at night, and uh, I'm sure that it's temperature. Be climatic, it? uh, I yeah. think it's yeah. temperature because yeah. you get slightly mm. different conditions each year. Mm. So yeah, drier. Colder nights will offer different colours to damper, sort of more insulated, hum- humid, slightly warmer nights when it's flowering, and yeah. uh, they're always different. Um, and yeah, and people are breeding with them now too. So if you're into hybrids, and uh, I've mentioned Craig Gardner before, who's a good grower, he's got some um, some lilacis that he's hybridised. So and they come out with these amazing colours when you cross them. With, because gladys are quite promiscuous and don't yeah. mind getting... So, with that lil- lilacious or liliaceous? Uh, lilaceous, I think. Lilaceous? Yeah, that's how it's spelt anyway. Yeah. <laughs> with that species, it still does the colour change even if it's crossed with something else? I don't else. know. I, I, we'll I have to ask Craig. Craig, that, yeah. Yeah, Craig if you're out there. Said, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, I'm sure that, the, I mean, the gene's there, so mm. there's a possibility of it happening. Um, but, it, yeah, I, from my point of view, they, they do look stunning. There's some amazing colours in some of them. But if you lose the colour change in the perfume, it's just I'm another sort of gladiolus. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, on Craig Gunner, he is um, probably the best grower of Mariahs and South, gladiolus, a lot of South, South African, South African stuff, things. Yeah. And the only place you can sort of buy from Craig is at the Fernie Creek um, Horticultural Garden Expo. I think it's like the first weekend of March every year. So. Mm. Um, but yeah, he he is so passionate and dedicated to all these beautiful South African things, and just a fabulous grower and mm. hybridizer and, and a generous um, guy too. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where do mo- James the bulbs that you grow? Where do most of them come from? All over? Um, all over. Yeah, yeah. we grow a lot of South African um things as well, like the gladiolus and romulaea and morea and things like lacanalias. Um, but also grow a lot of things from. Europe and North America and things, um, a lot of erythroniums and fritillarias and stuff. So we're sort of into Asia and the Himalaya and just all the yummy parts of the world. I mentioned the the English collection. I can't remember his name. Art Archibald. Uh, uh, Jim Archibald. Yeah. Archibald. Where did the collection came from? England, but where did the collection 
I, I don't. From. You'd know more about Jim than I would, but I, I think he collected a lot of that yeah, stuff in the he, wild, didn't he? Yeah, he yeah. went. Um, was wild collected stuff. Um, in the end, I think they got people donating seed to them as well. But so from all over the world. Mm. Yeah. yeah, like um, Rod and Rachel Saunders in South Africa. Yeah. they um, sadly passed away in a horrific event. Um, but they ran Silver Hill Seeds, which is still going now, um, even though they're no longer with us. But they would go out, like Jim and Jenny, into the wild and um, take photos of something in flower there and, you know, mark where it is and go back and collect seed and then share that. So, um, like Jim and Jenny were in England, um, Rod and Rachel are South Africa. So it it happens all around the world. Well, Mm. not so much now. but um, Yeah, it's certainly getting harder, I think, because there's less of that stuff out Mm. there. Like yeah. the, the habitat for these things is is dramatically decreasing, and then you know different parts of the world where it's dangerous to go out in some of these areas, like you know hiking around in uh, some places in the Middle East and and you know former parts of uh, Soviet Russia and things like that, mm. where all these little treasures hide up in the yeah. mountains. There might be other things up in the mountains that you don't <laughs> want to find. Find, yeah. <laughs> yes. um, and it's a bit, you know, it can be a bit tricky going r- around some of these places so as yeah, well. Another reason to share these seeds. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and as I say, it's important um, uh, to try and keep these things sort of going. There's a, a, a gladi. I remember I bought off uh, Stephen Ryan when I was about 15 years old. It was a Gladiolus citrinus. Um, has it got a lemon scent or something? No, it's just yellow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite a diminutive little gladi. It, it look, they look like crocuses almost. It's actually beautiful. Yeah, they're, like they're upright. <laughs> There's not many markings on them. It's a symmetrical sort of tube flower, and, and the flowers are on thin leaves, and they just face straight up like a, a crocus or a stenbergia. And it's essentially extinct in the wild now, and... and um, it survived me having it from a teenager up until I was in my 20s until I thought, actually, that's really rare. I should look after that because I'd planted <laughs> it out in the ground and just forgotten about it. Mm. And this thing survived all that. And I've sent bulbs to a guy in the New York Botanic Gardens and uh, quite, anyone that I think deserves one in yep. Australia has has probably received one of me yep. that I... That I uh, Thank you. <laughs> And and it's nice got, to see. No, I got one. Oh, <laughs> you did. Yep. No. That's it's nice. nice. Yeah. I remember giving one <laughs> to one of uh, one of our bulb heroes, uh, Gary Reed. Yeah. Years ago, he'd only seen uh, pictures of them, and mm. he, he'd always wanted to see one in the wild, but she couldn't anymore because they're, they're pretty much extinct in the wild. And I gave him a pot with one flowering in it, and it, he was just. Like he's jaw just dropped and he was staring at it for about five minutes and it's like, oh, that was worth it. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And um, what did you call him? A bulb hero? Oh, he's, yeah, he was sort of. um, uh, It's a great expression. When I first had my nursery, he he helped me out a lot, uh, like sharing a stall at some of the plant fairs where I couldn't afford a whole plant stall, so I'd just share one with Gary and. Yeah, he and his wife so run Obscure. Bulbs, yeah. Um, up at Alan's flat, is that Alan's flat? Yeah, that right? yeah, Alan's flat. I think um, is, yeah. And Greg's right. He, they are two of the most incredibly beautiful people, and knowledgeable people yeah. on a lot of this South African. He's not there to. S- he, he was never there to sell bulbs. He was there to. He's there to talk. <laughs> he was there to share what he what he was excited yep. about. And yeah. That's, yeah. But I, you know, that's special. I yeah. think. Yeah. 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 That's what you're looking for. <laughs> 
I, I'm loving it. I don't want to interrupt, but I, we need to let listeners call in and ask yeah. us questions. <laughs> yeah. so we need some numbers. <laughs> we, need to, we need to throw out some numbers. Before I throw out some numbers, um, the wonderful Open Gardens Victoria team have given us a double pass to one of their Open Gardens next week. So the garden in Sunshine North is called Studio Sunshine North and it's open next Saturday and Sunday on the 14th and 15th of May. Uh, It's a garden on a corner site uh, and they've made attempts to make the most of the Maribyrnong River Reserve and some rock faces near um, one of the the old uh, quarry in Sunshine North. Um, it's a Tuscan style garden, lots of blues, blue greens, greys and silver foliage with some succulents and small shrubs, um, but making most of the, of the hard landscape that's around. Uh, we've got a, one double pass to give out to one of our glorious 3CR listeners. If you want to have a go at getting that one, Rosie's ready at the phone. Uh, the number is 94190155. And Rosie will give you the details for how to um, obtain the ticket to get entry into that. So it's at, uh, in Sunshine North on 87 How Long Drive, uh, the 14th and 15th of May, which is next weekend. I have one more. Oh, can I find the email? Where's my printed? Here we go. We've got another talk coming up. Uh, with the Friends of Burnley Gardens and a listener of the show, Jill from the Herb Society. She is doing a talk about herb trees on Tuesday night, the 17th of May. So Jill has been part of the Herb Society for over 40 years. She's a regular caller at 3CR. I'm sure she's tuning in now, so Jill, call us up if you have any more info to give us. Uh, but we often talk about herbs as small ground covers and little herbaceous plants, but Jill's going to focus on the trees that provide those sorts of herbs as well. I mean, think of a bay tree. They're huge. Yeah. So yeah. I'm sure she'll be talking about things like that. So it's at Burnley Campus at 7 o'clock and a 7.30 start, $10 for members and $20 for non-members. Uh, if you go to the Friends of Burnley Gardens website, you'll be able to find booking details for that, and it's on Tuesday the 17th of May. If you if you wanted to give us a call and ask us any questions, I have Greg Boulderston and Jane Tontkin in with me this morning. We'll do our best to answer all your questions. The number again is 94190155. If you want to send us a text message, the number is 0488 Tell us the favourite plant of your mum's. Tell us yeah. a story. About, about your mum and gardening. About or, your yeah, mum. or yeah. you, uh, Everyone has a connection with their grandmother and a particular mm-hmm. plant. Yeah. Some people have carted pots of their, that were their grandmother's around to different homes for like 40 years and that geranium is still mm-hmm. surviving. If you've got those sorts of stories, we'd love to hear it on this Mother's Day. So give us a call or send us a text message. Uh, we'd love to hear it. We'd love to hear from you. Um, To stay connected with us during the week, you can uh, jump onto our Facebook and Instagram pages. Uh, For those people that missed the start of the show or want to catch up again, uh, you can get our podcast on all of the podcasting apps. And if you have any questions for those podcasters or that you come up with during the week, you can send us an email. Our email address is gardening at 3cr.org.au. We've had a text message come in nice and early. Um, 
Charlotte wants some help picking some plants um, for her house in that she's going to put on the market in the middle of September. Um, she would like a garden full of roses and or trees in blossom by the start of September. What can you recommend that would be flowering by then? Well, there'd be bulbs flowering by then. <laughs> there would be, yeah. And you could put them in now. Yeah, like you could have beautiful terracotta pots full of tulips. Um, yeah. And they'd be just starting to come through, but you'd, there'd be daffodils and things <clears throat> that you could... I think, yeah, bulbs would be... Especially, the other thing is too, if they're in pots, you can take them with you if the house sells. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, it's it's like doing the furniture furniture on the inside of the house for all the photos and things, and then you, you you know, they're just a part of the aesthetics outside that you're going to take with you in yourself. Mm. Yeah. Um, My head is saying some of the wattles will be flowering by the start of September as well. Uh, So you could put in some. Can you get advanced acacias that would be. Like worth that are going to give the instant. Some of them you can. Because that's that's the tricky bit, I guess, isn't it? Here is is, you know it's nice. But what you could also do is go to a nursery in late July, August, get what there's what's in flower in that nursery, and and hope that it holds on until September. Or at at the end of August, again, go back to your local nursery Mm. and buy what's in flower and pop that out into your garden. It won't look as established, but you'll yeah. still get that colour. Yeah. But to um, get those plants instant impact from trees is quite difficult. Yeah, yeah um, tre- trees is yeah, the hardest bit. Yeah. The shrubs, yeah. as you say, you can get away with by buying a yeah. slightly larger and maybe a bit closer to the time when you can actually just pick something off the shelf that already looks mm. pretty much what you want mm. and stick it straight in. Um and as far as colour goes, I at that time of the year, I don't think it could be bulbs uh, for, mm. for impact density and, and impact. And, mm. and, yep. and like I say, if they're in tubs that you've got around, uh, you can also take them with you when you go. So yeah. you've got them <laughs> and you're not leaving it all there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, congrats to Kim from Reservoir. She's taken the Open Gardens Victoria tickets. Very well done. Um, our number to give us a call is 94190155. Now, Jane, you brought in a massive tray of plants yeah. where do you want to start well, well you asked me <laughs> well we do about mother's day i'm i'm a mum yeah and um i still have my darling mum with us too so um <laughs> i thought i would tell some sort of funny little story about my beautiful mother and business partner and hopefully she's still asleep as i tell this story <laughs> if you're not mum i love you um i've got a Autumn flowering galanthus in front of me. Now, most people will know them as snowdrops as opposed to the big Lacogum snowflakes. So I'm just going to hold it up so um, Chloe can see it. Very delicate. Um, now, this one is Regine Olgay. And a lot of, most of the galanthus species and hybrids and things flower sort of late winter and into early spring. But there are a few autumn flowering ones and this one is one of them. And I've bought it in because... A few years ago, um, Gardening Australia came and did a story on our Crown Imperial Fritillaria. And mum was there, you know, pretending to weed pots and things. And <laughs> so as Jane Edmondson comes around the corner and she's like, oh, hi, Jane, yes, I'm just weeding away. And mind you, she's been there for the last hour waiting, going, you know. <laughs> um, and she talked about why she loves Galanthus because they have these tripedals that when the sun hits them, they open out and show off their little knickers. <laughs> and so Jane, Jane and Jane were both 
laughing and I thought, oh, that's going to end up on the cutting room floor. Oh, no. <laughs> it, it's in the episode. So um, if anyone wants to Google Gardening Australia um, Crown Imperial or whatever, you'll come up with this and see my mum talking about knickers of a flower. So um, to all those mums out there, Put your lacy knickers on today. Yes. Absolutely. So that just makes me smile. Every time I look at Galanthus now, I, ca- I can't look at it in the same way other than seeing my mum talk about knickers. It is so showing its knickers. It is showing it's, its knickers. It's right on the yep. money. <laughs> um, and the other little one that reminds me of my mum, I've got a the old-fashioned white Noreen in front of me. Um, everybody will know it as Flexurosa Elba, but it's now... Um, been there's no such thing as the flexurosa um, species anymore. It's now undulata, so it should be sort of an undulata elba. But I would suggest that people in Australia listed as undulata flexurosa elba, and the flexurosa elba being the cultivar name. Um, but anyway, that's just a bit technical. But anyway, undulata so, referring to the undulate pe- yeah, petals. Yeah. 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 So beautiful frilly white. Um, and quite dense head once they, they all open. It reminds me of my mum because it flowers at Mother's Day. Mm. And a lot of my childhood was spent picking bunches and bunches yes. of Noreen. <laughs> so, mum, this might not be such a good memory, but you know, um, anyway, if anyone knows what I'm talking about, it is one of the most fabulous Noreens you can grow because of the time of year it flowers, and it is pure Snow White. Um, so they're the two things that remind me of my mum this morning. So happy Mother's Day, mum. Yes. Mm. How nice. Greg, so, yeah, Greg's turn. I was going to yeah. say, Greg, your turn. You've brought in a big thing first. Well, can we talk I about reckon, the yellow one? I reckon we go through Jane's stuff because she has brought a lot in and we're sort of talking about bulbs all anyway. Right. So well, I, we're on it. Yeah, You've yeah, got to help me out. Keep rolling. Yeah, that's all right. Okay, all right. Um, let's we, we can have my stuff as spares because they're just... A few things, but I think yeah, but they're the cute. A few things. We'll get to them. Oh, we'll get to them because I okay. want to get to them as well. Okay. We'll, we'll yeah. try to get to all of them today. That's a challenge. So we're talking about endangered things. So I'm going to bring a little yep. pot up. Sorry, just bending down, everybody. I'm still here. For the listeners at home, okay, there is a so lot of pots on the floor. There's a lot of pots on the floor because, of course, you know, Jane chose things in eight-inch pots, not a four-inch pot, didn't <laughs> I? Um, so I'm holding up a daffodil. Oh, that's a daffodil. <laughs> that's, that's the reaction I wanted, Chloe. Thank you very You're much. You're welcome. Um, this is Narcissus viridiflorus. So it is an autumn flowering green daffodil, and it doesn't particularly look like a daffodil. Um, so if anyone wants to um, have a Google of Narcissus viridiflorus. This, vir- is, this is why I love when... Now, um, and as soon as you bring in the species forms and stuff. I'm just going to give you mm. a smell. So, so hang on a much more interesting than so big blocks of colours. Oh, John Quill. Oh, a weird John Quill okay. smell. Mm. Yeah. I, I've never, yeah, I, I've never had much luck with those, I, I must admit, but um, I'm not a daffodil. I'm not, I wasn't ever huge on daffodils, so. So it is a, yeah, it is a bit difficult to get to flower here. It's from Spain and northern Morocco, and... There's only about 15 small patches of it left in the wild. Um, most of those studies have been done in Spain, not in Morocco, because of situations that we talked about mm. in the world before. Mm. Um, and it's all due to habitat destruction kind of thing as well. But it is very unique in the fact that if it is going to flower, that's its leaves as well. So the flower stem becomes the leaves. Hold it up again. So Viridiflorus... Is the species name means green flowers, green. Yep. and they are green flowers, they are green. but they look like little 
um, stars. They're, they're tiny. They're yep. probably so about an it, inch in diameter max. Yep, and fully reflexed the um, petals, and it's got a tiny little couple corona, if you want to. So the flower shape's pretty much like a jonquil flower shape, but it's very fine yep. and very green and, and quite Tall, uh, small and diminutive. And the foliage is really upright and linear. Yeah. Too. And so it if, looks it, like if a, it doesn't. It looks like a reedy plant. Mm. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Mm. If it doesn't put up a flower stem, see if, you, if I get those ones out of the way. See that single flower stem there? Yeah. So that's one single bulb. So it's decided oh. that it's flowering so that it doesn't put leaves. Right. So one of the others that's got a flower and a couple of leaves beside it is because underneath it's got babies on the side of that mother bulb, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very unique in the way it does that, but it's also unique in the perfume. Um, it's more heavily scented at night, mm. exactly like the gladiolus that we were talking about before. Yeah. Which is also why it's probably got quite uh, small, unrecognisable small green flowers. flowers. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. yeah. so, it doesn't need the colour. Yeah. And it's the smell that would probably attract a moth as well. So it makes it very, very difficult for them. Um, finding any sort of natural hybridising in the wild as well, because in that area there's um, bulbacodums and which is the hoop petticoat daffodils you might know. Yeah, nice. Um, and then there's things like rupacola, narcissus rupacola, and things like that. But um, there's not a lot of natural hybridising going on, and um, so it's just something that is extremely rare and yummy. Mm. And so smells ho- good. Hopefully, yeah. one day in the future we'll be getting green hybrids instead of pink ones. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> Imagine in big there. flower daffodils, but just all in green. green. That would be yeah. really cool. There's the job for school. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'll get involved in the process. So while, while we're on daffodils then quickly, mm-hmm. um, because most people think that daffies are a spring flowering thing, mm-hmm. um, so Veritiflorus being an autumn flowering one as well, there is some of the tazettas, so your jonquil sort of family. Um that can flower in the autumn. This one's actually called Autumn Colours, and you have to smell that. Oh, sorry. Well, I, lo- I love smell. Them. These are my favourite yep. bulbs, these sorts of ones. Oh, so yes, it's that typical like springtime, yeah, yeah. but it's not. But it's in autumn. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> um, so these ones were bred by a fabulous American daffodil breeder called Bill Welch, who is sadly no longer with us. Um, and for sort of 20 years, he, he actually grew daffodils as a cut flower. So he wanted to extend his, um, flowering season. So of course you can pick more and make more money kind of thing. So it took him a while to get, um, this one, but I got this luckily from a beautiful friend of mine and, um, he's had, he, he had one coming into bud towards the end of March. So to have daffodils in flower, March, April in your garden mm-hmm. um, is quite unique and, and beautiful, I yeah. think, that that then aren't forced out of season. Like, it, it's their natural time. So would that have viridiflor in it to try and get it to flower earlier? Or, or is that, is that no, a different is section where it's just... Yeah, different section. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but just something a little bit different mm. and cool too. So and the autumn flowering daffodils are out there, people. These can be purchased from Tonkin's Bulbs? Um, eventually, yeah. <laughs> Veritiflorus we have had before, um, so hopefully maybe next summer, but a, a lot of the time they're at the specialty little garden shows that I might only have 10 of or something. Yeah. So sometimes you actually have to come out and visit and buy them. Good. Um, to all those little rare plant shows and things, mm. which is what they're in aid of too, of being able to then sort of share and, and give. Yeah. Um, of the different stuff too. So yeah. 
Um, you sure you don't want to do one in no, between? No, no, you go, you go. Oh. <laughs> As I say, the bowls are good. Okay, because we can come back to... Um, all right, to... All right. Okay. What's that, Chloe? Is that saffron? No, it's not. Oh. It's close. Oh, it's very close. <laughs> it's a little bit close. <laughs> okay. What you're looking at is um, a true autumn flowering um, crocus. So there's a lot of names that get bandied around for autumn crocus, um, and I'll show you a couple of options of those in a minute. But yeah. um, this is a proper crocus. This is Cartwrightianus. Um and this is where the saffron crocus sativus comes from. Now, there's a recent study. Well, so that's crocus cartwrightianus. Yep. Now, the saffron well, is crocus, crocus sativus or sativus. Sativus. Yep. Um, and but as you can see, the red stigma. Mm. So this one is good for saffron as well. Mm-hmm. The only thing is with sativus is that it is the triploid. Version, so but sterile, so it won't set seed for you. Mm. Um, but it has bigger and better, so that's why they use that one in the commercial growing of saffron. Yeah, you're um, getting more saffron per flower, yeah. which yeah. is which yeah, and, and, and the quality the is um, supposed to be yeah. far superior as well. So, but you could use this to do the same thing. Um, but the sativa has got more fragrance and stuff in the saffron mm. once it's dried, etc. So autumn flowering crocus are fabulous. Like you, you, there's a lot of different ones that you can get, um, but sativas would be the most common that people would, yeah. would know. Um, but it varies in... I love the autumn ones because it's different to the big Dutch Vernus hybrids like Pickwick and um, some of the others that I just don't really remember. But, <laughs> um, so I, I think... and. They're quite easy to grow in pots, like just a well-drained mix. Um, that looks like it is in a well-drained mix. Yep. There's a bit of perlite in there. Yep, and yeah. gravel. Um, yeah. uh, so a lot of the crocuses come from around the Mediterranean and Middle yep. East. Yep. Um, and if you look at par- the parts of that world, uh, in some ways, or in a lot of ways in some cases, it's very similar climate to what we have here. This is the hot, dry summers, cold, wet winters. Mm. So the spring-flowering crocuses tend to be more from... Uh, hill melt, uh, melt areas where they get a lot of uh, it's frozen in winter, so maybe higher altitude. And as the snow melts on the mountains, that's where they get all their water source from, mm. and then it dries out over again in, in summer. But the, most of the autumn flowering ones, I, I think, come from more, much closer to our climate. Yep. Um, that more Mediterranean, yeah, hot, dry summer, cold Greece winters. and Crete kind of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that dry. Summer, as Greg's just saying too, is and growing them in pots is a great way of then just moving your pot somewhere cool and dry for the summer. Um, If you're storing things in a garden shed, like we sort of repot every year because I'm trying to do it on a commercial scale. Um, But in and if you're storing things in a garden shed, just with crocus, the rats and mice like them. They do. So just be very very careful that you're checking stock quite regularly and things. Garden lime and blood and bone is my go-to with crocus. Garden lime, definitely. Yeah. How often will you um, put that on? I just do it once a season when we're yep. repotting. But if if you're leaving them in, um, you just sort of, I would be top dressing at the end of spring. So say an eight-inch size pot, how much lime and blood and bone would you put in? Um, 
probably two tablespoons. Like half yeah. a handful? Yeah, I, I was thinking handfuls in my head and I'm thinking, how do I put that into a, you know. Yeah, um, a couple of yeah, couple tablespoons of, of each, like the yep. blood and bone and garden lime and mix all that in perfectly. And like most bulbs, about two inches plus down, mm-hmm. so the top of the corn. Um, and away you go. But it, it's beautiful. Uh, the the stigma is that bright red of saffron. Is that is that one edible? Yep. But just not as strong a flavour as sativas. Yep. yep. So they 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 originally thought that sativas was a cross between this Cartwrightianus and something like Nivius or Palisade or um, those sort of ones. But in this study that they've done, they're ninety nine point three percent sure or something that. This is actually, the, the sativas has come from Cartwrightianus in one of those um, mixed up sort of meiosis things happening where it's actually created instead of a, a diploid, a triploid in the wild mm. rather than manufactured kind of thing. It's like a, a freak sport. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, that's probably a better way of, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's what sativas is, a freak sport of this. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll get back to some more plants in yeah. a moment. We do have a caller on the line and must say thank you for waiting, Jill. Oh, no, we've lost her. I'm sorry, Jill. I was going to say, too, with the, the crocuses, uh, if you go up to Jane's and buy one of each um, and anyone else who... Like, there's a international crocus uh, society which has an Australian branch... Uh, that do seed exchanges. So if you want to get into crocuses, crocuses are one of those things where you can have, at one point, I think I had about 40 or 50 species at, when I had the full, when I had my full collection. Mm. And there was a couple of years where I had at least one crocus flower every day from the end of February through till the last day of October. Oh, wow. So how, how good is that in mm. one genus? Yeah, in one genus. genus that yeah. you can have. And, and, and the variety is, mm. is amazing too. Yeah. Like there's a lot of autumn flowering ones that are just white or pale, pinky, purple. Mm. And if I lost the label, I wouldn't know what it was. Like it's, it's, I know it's Because the corms are very similar too. Yeah. Corms are similar. Yeah. The yeah. flowers are very similar. Um, you know, you might need to look underneath a dissecting microscope to get the features on one to figure out what it is or whatever. Uh, but some of some of them, are like duck egg blues and and yeah, all sorts of weird colours, are absolutely stunning. We're going to try and get Jill back on again. Are you there, Jill? I am indeed. Yes, yes. Hi. Sorry, we got lost talking about crocus. No, that's fine. In fact, you've reminded me to go and rescue somewhere. I'm uh, re-landscaping the front garden and I suddenly thought, forgot about those little ones. I will go and try and find them. We've had earth-moving machines. But I I just went out while I was waiting and saw a couple of little spikes above the ground and thought, they're still there. I will will rescue them after this. Good, good. That's not not what I rang in. Um, You would asking about uh, stories of plants connected with mothers, and my mum is no longer with me, but um, I've got a magnolia that uh, I did... uh, The two of us did a uh, garden tour of Mount Macedon with Meryl Johnston years ago, Mm. many years ago, and um, we went to a nursery, you know, a bus full of gardeners. You can imagine there was a a lot of buying, (laughs) and... uh, so the nursery people were very grateful and they donated a magnolia to, to be raffled and it was called uh, something Merrill. They picked, they picked it because of the name, because of Merrill Johnson, and um, uh, Mum won the raffle. 
so we took this plant home and she had a, just a small unit. She planted it in an old washing machine uh, container. So, oh. uh, and when she died, I thought, oh, my God, you know, I want to keep this. As, in fact, I've got a garden full of plants from her, but this was very special. So um, we cut it out because, you know, washing machine container things curve in at the top, so we had to cut a lot of the roots to take the plant out of, the, out of this container. And I planted it at my place, and it just sat there looking utterly miserable for about four years, you know, just, just barely, just alive. And then suddenly it seemed to realise it was free of the washing machine container, and it just went kaboom. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a stellata-style flower, so I expected it only to get to about three metres. At the moment, I'd say it's closer to six. Yeah. And uh, fabulous. The only thing is that it's got so close to the um, our flame tree that the possums get a lot of the flowers now. Uh, possums do yeah, love they magnolias. They love magnolias. Oh, <laughs> they do. Oh, God. Yeah, and we're just possum city here in, in East Brighton because all the gardens are getting bulldozed for McMansions. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it's one of, the, one of the few big gardens left. Uh, yeah. They've all come to live here. Um, but anyway, yes, it, I, I still I get some flowers on the lowest branches. Um, I would feel like giving my two staffies climbing instructions so that they could get a little higher to protect them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, However, what a good story. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, look, I just thought, you know, yeah, um, as I said, I won't bore you with all the other plants that I've got from her, but uh, she was a passionate gardener and infected me before the age of reason, and so I'm same. Excellent. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you for and sharing that, Jill. That, that's great, and it's a lovely show. Really, I'm learning so much about bulbs as I listen to you, so it's fascinating. Good, me too. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for calling Thanks and tuning much. in, Jill. Have a good day. Oh, I pressed that button a bit early. What are some other bulbs that, was, that you've uh, got there, okay. Jane? I was waiting for somebody else to call Let's do, do we want to do some orchids? Yeah, let's talk orchids. Okay. They're not... That looks like a fern with orchid flowers on yeah. it. I'm, <laughs> I'm so not an expert on these. These are new to me. Um, and terrestrial orchids are a passion of my darling partners, but I'm learning, and this is what it's all about with gardening and things. Um, so what we're looking at in here is Stenoglottis longifolia, so the longer folia meaning long foliage, um, which, you know, for a stenoglottis, I suppose it does have longer foliage. You can just Yeah, it's not see, the longest foliage yeah, in the world. The beautiful long spires that are um, sort of 40, 50 centimetres long with um, a full raceme of little orchids with a sort of fringe little labellum at the front, mm. um, labellum being that little lippy thing on most orchids. Landing um, platform. Yeah. So this one's from South Africa. So when we sort of talk terrestrial orchids, it's things that we can grow in the ground. Um, and basically being South African, it, it, it does really well in our climate, even up in the cold hills. So, um, and quite easy. A lot of these terrestrial orchids need not an orchid mix and they don't need your hothouse, etc. It's straight out in pots or in the ground. Um, most of them you're better off starting in pots because of the fact that, you know, um, it takes a bit to get an impact of a clump in a garden to begin with. Um, so sort of afternoon shade with a stenoglottis with us. Um, 
And the mix that we use is basically a well-drained, but it's got a bit of humus soil mixed in as well, pretty much close to my Pleione um, mix. And people might know Pleione orchids a little bit better than these ones. But Australia also has some fabulous orchids and things too. So we've got a little... What did I do with that? I'm sorry that I'm being really rude and turning around. We've got another caller, so we will get to that. Um, I just want to say, you are listening to 3CR Gardening Show. I've forgotten to say the names for anyone that has slept in. I'm Chloe Foster, and I have Greg Boulderston and Jane Tonkin in the studio with me this morning, and we've been talking bulbs because they both love them and they both grow them. Um, If you have any special stories about your mum that you want to tell us about or your grandma or a plant connection that you have with them, please let us know on this Mother's Day. We'd love to hear it. Our number is 94190155 or our text message line is 0488809855. And we must say good morning to uh, Len in Woodend. Yes, hello. Hi, Len. How are you? I'm quite good, thanks. And yourself? I'm very good, good. thank you. Apart from having to get up early on a Sunday morning. (laughs) And it was very dark and cold, but... Uh, I've got a couple of greyhounds that I walk, so um, I get up very early. Nice. Len, how can we help you this morning? No, it's it's a tip that uh, someone gave over the radio a couple of days or a couple of weeks ago. Now, of course, I was on the road, but it was a tip about figs and how to ripen them, and it was just so interesting, and, and I took their tip and I tried it, and you wouldn't believe I've got figs ripening on a tree that have never ripened this time of the year in Wood End, and uh, I thought I'd thank you and, and actually say what I have done and, and on the advice that the lady, whoever it was, uh, gave that it's to prick them. Now, I got a screwdriver and I pricked figs that were of a good size but mm. not ripening. And this area up here, just they just don't ripen at all. I've, this is a big fig tree that I've had for some years and uh, very rarely do I get one or two of it that ripen. But anyway, I pricked them and I found that if you... I, this is a small screwdriver. I put it right into the centre and all the ones that I picked into the centre have started to ripen and I've got figs ripe on the tree now that have never been there before and I thought it's such a good tip I'd ring back and thank you and mention it. Great. Well, Would that have you. been Penny Woodward probably? Might have been. No, I'm not sure who it was. Yeah. But I great. And thanks, Len. That's yeah, good. At least everyone you. knows that it works. And yeah. yeah. So what are you well, going to make with your figs? Well, these, look, I've, I've got about 20 ripening and I was lucky if I got one or two before the season sort of got too cold for them. But we've had frost here and they're still ripening. So this, this tip is really good and I, I bet there's a lot of people with big trees that in this area especially that uh, ha- have trouble getting anything off a tree uh, mm. that's ripe. So it's worth passing on and, and maybe people get some figs off their tree. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Well, anyone out there that wants their figs to ripen quicker, prick yep. them with a screwdriver or, or something. That so sounds good. Yeah, and deep. And, and what was the last bit, Lynn? And deep in, not just on the skin. Oh, oh. okay. All right. Thanks, Lynn. Okay, um, thank you. Good on you. Have a good day. 
Bye. Yes, yeah, same to you. Bye. Well, there you go. Well, it's always good to know that tips work out. Isn't it? <laughs> it is. It actually We're is. not just sitting here sort of twiddling <laughs> yeah. our thumbs. Yeah. yeah. Some of our advice is helpful. Yeah, good. <laughs> All right. We were on, we're about to get on to a native orchid. We were, yeah. Now, um, I'm probably going to need Greg's help here because you're pretty... Not uh, in pronunciation, I hope. No, no, no. Just your affinity with the Australian bush. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. You and it oh. go together like peas in a pod. Yeah. Um, so we've got this little one here. This is Terrastylus truncata. So Terrastylus are the green hoods that people will probably know. Um, one of the sort of most common in green hoods in Victoria would be uh, Alpina or Curta, which get a lot taller. So this one we're looking at is only about 10, 12 centimetres high, and it's actually brown and white striped, not green and white striped. Mm. Like a, um, now, our native orchids are extremely precious. Um, this one's now endangered in Victoria, although it's found up the east coast in um, inland sort of New South Wales and slightly into a spot in Queensland, I think. Um, but we find that a free-draining mix for these as well, similar to the Stenoglottis from South Africa I was talking about before, and they grow quite well. Um, the way of acquiring native orchids is um, through the Australian Native Orchid Society of Victoria, or I think Karanda do have some that they sell as well. They sell out pretty quick, Karanga, when they get they, them. They do. Yep. Um, so if anyone is interested in native orchids and preservation of them and things, the easiest way is to join the Australian Native Orchid Society, which is all the W's, anosvic.com.au, um, because what they do there is they run what is called a tuba bank, so home growers and things then donate tubers and there's a lot donated from the Cranbourne Orchid um, Preservation um, Projects that's going on as well. Mm. And um, so there's a lot of swapping, uh, as we were talking about swapping things before, um, because a lot, a lot of our native orchids are endangered due to us, you know, housing estates and farmlands and things like that, which, uh, and I think it's one thing that we do have a responsibility to preserve in Australia. Mm. Um, so, but this is a, just a little beautiful autumn flowering one. So all your green hoods you can get from autumn all the way, almost all year round you can find a green hood in flower in Australia. So they're it, a pretty cool fucking uh, Arisema. Look to uh, it, doesn't it? Yeah or, yeah, or, you know, there's a lot of things from the aroid world that have a similar look to the green hood flowers. Yeah. yeah. Um, little hooded uh, and, and burgundies and greens yeah. and, and pale greens. Yeah. So you don't have to remember Terrastylus. You can just Google um, Victorian green hoods or something and you will come up with a picture and, and see what we're sort of looking at. Um, but I, I think it is one of those things that we need to look after. And um, so please actually don't go and dig them from out in the bush because um, that's not what we need. So any of the native nurseries you can ask around at, but Karanga's probably our best in the country. Yeah. Um, and joining the, the ANOS Victoria, so Australian Native Orchids Society, is a fabulous. So if you're into um, native orchids, they're a great organisation to get involved in as mm. well. So mm. that's me off my soapbox. So. That's the dark side <laughs> of collecting too, isn't it? Like There's a, a lot of bulb collectors who are quite happy to buy something pay three or four hundred dollars for some rare bulb that has been dug from the yeah. wild and there's uh whether it's uh cactus or 
well, you know, Arab Samus from yeah. from China or, uh, or uh, Amorpha um, phallus or, in or, Indonesia, or the orchids or, yeah. or another group of plants that uh, get a, a lot of damage to the native habitats that they come from, uh, from people willing to pay extraordinary amounts of money mm. for so something don't. that we should yeah. be mm. protecting, mm. Uh, and yeah, places that can propagate these rare plants and get them into collectors' hands through that is actually doing something good, but the other isn't. And often the other happens, which is yeah, people willing to pay for other people to go out and ransack the, yeah. these really rare habitats, and, and uh, it's yeah, not the best side of the whole thing. Yeah, no. And just on our native orchids, if you if you are attempting to grow them, just remember a very low phosphorus fertilizer. They don't like it at all. So any of your native granulars um, would work well too. And I'm sure Karanga sell native. Yep. Yeah, they've got mixes a, and things. Yep, so. they've got a few different fertilizers, and they've got yep. their own two-in-one fertilizer as well. Yeah, any of those are good yeah. for our native ones. So. Yep. yep. Greg, you spend a lot of time in the bush around the Macedon Ranges looking for fungi, mm-hmm. but do you see a lot of orchids in well, your travels? Funny thing is, there's not that many up on the mount. Um, certainly in the areas that I walk around a lot, there's a, there's um, the interesting thing about Mount Macedon is all the different habitats in such a small area. So you've got, on the lower side, you've got cool climate rainforest, which isn't usually the best habitat for mm. orchids because, you know, it's quite dark down on the mm. forest floor. So yeah. yeah, you might find some carabus for helmet orchids or something like that in those wetter areas. Yeah, so, yeah. and the hyacinth orchids you get a few of and, and, mm. um, and gastrodium. So there's stuff there, but... Um, You'd, not like when you go out into some of the dry woodland forests where you've got bearded caledonias and, and all the, you know, spider orchids and yep. all these really weird things that are quite rare and, and mm. sometimes you don't notice, uh, unless you might be looking at one and not realise you're looking at an orchid and then go, oh, that's a flower. Yeah. <laughs> that's a yeah. weird things. Yeah. Unless it's uh, something like, uh, most people know the blue sun orchids, the Thalamatra. Um, that get quite tall and, and mm. it's the colour that's kind of impressive. But a lot of our Australian native orchids are in those tones of creams and browns and mm. um, the ladyfingers are what well, are white Whites and or um, things or that just blend into the bush too. So yeah, and as often saying, flowering you, you at a time mm. where other things are flowering too. But yeah, so the orchids on Mount Macedon are usually like there's lots of bird orchids, the um, uh, chilaglottis. And then on the north side where it's a bit hotter and drier, then you get some of the caledonias and a few other bits and pieces. But, yeah, not not a, a lot of those. You can't have everything. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. then would you see sort of more moving out towards Kyneton and Castlemaine? Yeah. yeah. That, that's, yeah. When, yeah. When I'm thinking weird, unusual orchids that you don't usually see, it's usually in the goldfields areas yes. where, yeah. where exactly. the soil's depleted. And, and that's the other reason is, you know, these things have eked out a living in environments that are really quite hostile in a lot of ways and also really fragile too. They don't look fragile when we go out there and, um, you know, it's just like bull ants and jump jacks and snakes <laughs> and everything's dry and hot and, mm. all, you know, in the middle of summer. So you don't think of that as fragile, but the actual ecosystem itself that's evolved in those areas is, is super fragile. So mm. when you start... Um, and a, a lot of the native orchids have interesting relationships with fungi as well yeah. uh often it's beneficial but uh i'm sure there's other plants that do it but i know orchids the the orchid family in particular 
are one of the few things that have turned the parasitic thing on its head where you often get a lot of parasitic fungi attacking plants, but they're actually parasitic orchids that attack fungi. So you've got oh, these the mycorrhizal weird, fungis that yeah, they so, actually so these, need to grow. Mm. Um, so, but yeah. yeah, so you have this a lot of mutual mm. relationship, but there are also a few orchids that are parasitic on on fungi. Yeah, mm. so they're not the fungi cool. don't want them, mm. and they're taking <laughs> stuff off the fungi without giving anything in return, which is not what usually happens. It's usually the other way around. The yeah. fungi are like, I'll take that and <laughs> not give anything back. But uh, so yeah, it's really interesting evolution and and long-term stuff, you know, stuff that's been happening for, you know, for as long as anything's been happening, mm. I guess, yeah. Um, Nature is Really wild. interesting. Yeah, yeah, so just on your next war zone sort of bushwalk, just keep an eye out. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Another level of stuff to keep an eye out for because, yeah, there's... Uh, and, and that's a, the really interesting thing about those native habitats is that no matter how close you look at something or how far away you look at something, there's almost an infinite amount of detail. So so you can look at a tree trunk and all the different lichens and mosses and algaes and whatever, and, you know, you can stand up on a rocky outcrop and look at the whole forest and it mm. doesn't matter, seem to matter how far or how close you are, there seems to be the same amount of detail to everything. You know, it's just, just looking. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Michael from Forest Hill rang in just to send a big respect and thanks to all the mothers on this day. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is the 3CR Gardening Show. We're here till quarter past nine. If you have any questions or you want to share your plant stories that remind you of mum or your grandmother, give us a call on 94190155 or you can send us a text message and that number is 0488 809 855. You can interact with us on days that aren't just Sunday mornings via our Facebook and Instagram pages. Our shows are put up on all the podcasting apps and our email is gardening at 3cr.org.au. Greg, let's look right. at... Can we talk about the yellow leaf yes. one, please? Because yep. it's <laughs> a stunning yellow. Yep. So there's actually two. Uh, they're, uh, they're both Lindera. Uh, so How it's do you a, spell a, that? Uh, L-I-N-D-E-R-A. And... One of my favourite trees is Lindera. It's got, I bought it as Lindera obtusa, but I think it's a obtusa loba now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'll get the results if you Google either one, I guess. Um, it's a small tree. Uh, I think my big one's probably about three, four, five metres tall now, oh, I guess. Lovely size. Yeah. Um, and I would say, arguably, but I would say <laughs> the best yellowing autumn colour tree I've I know of. It, I'll it's, bet, yep. I'll second yep. that. It's the brightest mm-hmm. gold on the light, yellowy lemon side of gold. Mm. It's just amazing. It just glows even at night time. Uh, you can almost see it in the moonlight. How the the actual colour yellow in moonlight. Yeah. And it's it's odd seeing colour in moonlight, but mm. this you can almost see it. It's just beautiful. That um, the leaves are somewhat like a tulip tree shaped. This sort of three lobed. Uh, uh, yeah, a tulip tree's probably got the. I thought it's it was. Very, very I thought it was a tulip tree. A tree when you I think it these in. are in the bay tree family from memory. I can't. Yeah. It's been a while since I checked the family, but I, I think they're related to bay. Um, so you've got these beautiful, broad tulip tree shaped leaves, um, and through summer it's a nice mid green. 
into autumn, it's the most brilliant gold, yellow, lemony sort of colour you've ever seen. And then towards the end of winter, they flower off their stems, sort of like a, a hammermallis or something like that. They're not quite as showy as the hammermallis, but mm. they're little sort of greeny yellow flower clusters uh, along the branches and stems. Are they like just the typical petals? The hammermallis sort of have those fringe flowers. Yeah, no. So, so these, the, the most of the colour comes from the actual stamens and stigmas. I think. I don't. Yeah. Think the petals are just. A, you can actually, at the moment, the buds, the big buds on them, they're the flower mm. buds. So they, they've yeah. actually got these beautiful little. They almost look like lilium pips, uh, mm. the, the buds on them. They're quite sort of roundish buds. Uh, and the petals themselves, or the, the tepals in this case, I think is probably more uh, it just almost translucent green. You don't notice those. It's the bristles from the, the uh, stamens and stigma of the flowers, I think, that, that you notice. So the flower's not the showiest thing on it, but it's still a nice little bit of yeah. brightness and colour sort of towards the end of winter going into spring. Um, so yeah, I, I'd Lindir is one of my favourite trees. It's up there with the Hammermallis as far as autumn colour, yeah. the autumn colours. Does it hold on to those leaves? For it us? does for a while. It yeah, it looks like they're holding on there quite yeah. well. So you, you know, get a does, little bit of. It does for a while. You, you've oh. got, uh, I'd say mid range. So it's not going to sit on there for a month or so, but you'll get colour off the tree, at least for maybe two or three weeks, yeah. unless it's horrible, windy and and wild. Mm. Um, I've bought two over the years, and one's a bit smaller than the other. The smaller one hasn't started to colour up yet. Mm. The branch that I've bought in this morning I picked from the understory, so it seems to colour up at the bottom first, which is another wow. cool thing for yeah. it too, because it looks like it's glowing from the inside as it colours up. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm uh, loving this yeah. So, so the, the brightest colour on my big one at the moment is the stuff down near the ground in the shade. Right. The stuff up the top still bright green, and the little... The smaller tree, which is only about two and a half metres tall, maybe three metres tall, um, that's completely green still. So the foliage getting the least amount of light seems to be. First. Yeah, and that seems to be a, a, an occurrence th- through the Lindera because the other species that I bought in, mm. which again, a bit of confusion with the name, I bought this as Lindera angustifolia, but it might be Lindera as, uh, angusta or angustata. Um, so... This has got a much finer, narrower leaf, almost mm. like a willow or a magnolia yeah, stellata or something yeah. like that. Yeah. It's sort of got that sort of feel about it, a, a thinner leaf. Um, now, I, I've seen these, the most brilliant oranges and reds. And when I bought it, that's what I was hoping for, but mine's turned out a very similar yellow to the Lindia obtusiloba. Um, but again, they colour up from the bottom first. So uh, if you're looking, I, I've been picking some uh, fruit off these uh for someone to to give to someone to grow uh and yeah if you standing underneath the tree looking up to find the the blackberries on this one mm. you get male and female plants so uh the angustata that I've got is a female plant that gets berries but the uh atusilobas up till now have all been male mm. plants in Australia and just recently someone I know is managed to grow some from seed and so hopefully he'll have some females that then he can mm. produce fruit off those as well anyway uh the uh, uh yeah i was always hoping for the bright red colored ones but it's a it's a mid yellow one but again it colors up from the base first so when you're looking at from underneath the tree you've got these amazingly bright yellow leaves with these little tiny black berries all the way through it so it's like mm. black dots on bright yellow from How looking up underneath. That, tree? that one's a bit smaller it's uh 
probably two and a half to three metres. Okay. And, and I've put it in a little bit too much shade. I often wonder if the colours, because I've got it in the shade rather than any sort of genetic sort of thing, that it's yellow. Yep. So it might, the yellowness of, of that one might be due to the fact that if I've underplanted it yep. a bit too much, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but, yeah, super nice trees. So, so where would you get those sort of things from? Uh, 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 Autumn Joy Nursery has Lindera. I think um, Finn's, uh, he's the one that's grown uh, hopefully a few female of the obtuse lobas. So yep. then you can grow them from seed and look for a bit of variation because... Another colour that you do get through Lindura obtusa is that orangey as well. So, so as it like gets older, it goes yeah. from that gold and it'll get orange blushes across the leaves or red. Okay. Um, so, yeah, Finn's been propagating and so growing Joy Nursery seed. for yep. people out there. And Stephen mm. would have them as well. Yeah. So that's Craig, Stephen Ryan. At Craig Wilson's probably yep. got them, I, I'd imagine. Um, and yeah, so so any of those rare plant nurseries that. We always go to the, for, for this sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> so loba, the size of the leaves is incredible. Um, like yeah, and these are small yeah. ones too. These yeah, and you talk leaves. about a tulip tree and it looking like that. It, it's a tulip tree on steroids. The size of the leaf. Yeah, isn't yeah, it? Like yeah. It, and as I say, um, these are these are smaller leaves, so the bigger the bigger leaves are it, at least the, like a big tulip tree yeah. leaf size. Yeah. But it's a much smaller, compacted, and planted out in the open. The habit of them is. Um, Almost like Malacyonensis plena, it's sort of sort of round at the bottom, like a teardrop shape sort of oh, a tree. Right. So they're they're not an, an ugly, unattractive shaped tree. That yeah. where some you know sometimes yeah. you get benefit, you know mm. something might have really nice foliage, but it's a really unattractive growing plant. <laughs> yeah, this this one's got a nice habit as well. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a beautiful tree to put along, you know, a back fence. Yes, yeah. Along back fence in it. Anywhere. It's just. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Anyway. Everyone needs one. (laughs) Everyone needs one. Yeah, or in the middle, you know, the middle of a garden bed Mm. or something in the the front yard. But people often like to put, you know, a row of a type of small tree along the, you know, their their backyard or a side Mm. fence or something. It often ends up being magnolia little gem, which is really nice. But there's a hell of a lot lot of of other options. Like Lindera. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the beautiful aces as well. There's some really or nice crab apples. Imagine that offset crab by apples. one of the purple weeping maples or something. That yeah. So so I've over the years tried a few uh, different things. Uh, I have a tropiolum growing up at, in winter, so through winter into spring, I've got all these beautiful red tropiolum tricolorum flowers. Describe that plant. To uh, so it's, I don't a, know. it's a creeping nasturtium. It's one of the climbing nasturtiums. So it's a, it's a bulb essentially, or a tuber. Mm. Um, and it sits dormant all summer, and then over winter it sends up these uh, tendrils into whatever you want to grow up into. Um, beautiful little five-lobed leaves, yep. I think, five. Yep. Um, so, it, And the flowers are nasturtium flowers, but they're a bit smaller, and they're a bit more enclosed, so they don't open, the petals don't open up on the front of the flower. So it's sort of like this weird... Um, Tubular pixie hat. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it looks like a pixie's, <laughs> like it looks like something made. It doesn't yeah, look like a flower. Yeah. It's just got a little tiny aperture at the front, which mm. whatever pollinates yeah. it in the wild can get at. But uh, it, it's, uh, and on mass, which they do well, really well. So when they flower, they flower a lot. Mm. Uh, and so if you've got a nice, healthy uh, one growing up something, I, I, often, mm. I think they're really good up smaller deciduous trees yeah for sure because that's when they're going when the trees have got no foliage or anything on them and the flower on mass the colors are essentially bright red 
like scarlet red with little hints of like yellow and blue through them. Um, really yeah, weird, it's a even with a bit of yellow, blue yeah. and mm. yellow on the end of yeah. that little. Um, and, and you'll get, as I say, the, the top sides of these tendrils just get covered in flowers. And so I've seen, I remember seeing one years ago on a fence and you could barely see the leaves through the flowers. There was that many flowers. Stephen used to have one on the fence as you walked into the Yeah, on the, the side street. of his office. I think he still grows it yeah. up there, yeah. Oh, I walked in there one day and, you know, you talk about jaws dropping and yeah. things that were amazing. Like, oh, yeah. They're a great thing. If you've got a weeping maple in a tub, Stick some tropiolum tricolorum in the pot underneath yeah. or have a smaller pot on top that mm. it can grow from because mm. it needs to be dry over summer. That's the only thing. Then you um, can sh- well, you can shift your pot then off yeah, yeah. the maple yeah. mm. over the summer. But, yeah, fabulous things. And there's, there's different things in that genus as well. Um, there's pentaphylum that flowers a little bit later than tricolour. There's, there's a blue bra- one or bracket, a azurium, yeah, the blue yeah, one. Yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone out there like got blue, tropiolum blue. azurium? Yeah. Um, we want one. <laughs> um and there's the yellow one, Brachyanthus. Yeah, anyway, couple, yeah. So that yellow one I've always had, because it doesn't seem to grow back in the same pl- place. I, I've had that for years, and I think I've, lo- I've lost it. I don't see it for three or four years. And then all of a sudden, it comes up through like a weeping maple or something. And it's yeah. like, oh, that's right. So it's moved. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, did, it's, I almost thought it was an annual. And, well, that yeah, because the, the tubers look a bit like a um, small sweet potato in a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then there's weedy ones too. What's the yeah. big weedy one? Yeah. Uh, uh, I can't remember the weedy one, but it's 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 got a bigger leaf. A bigger, it's still really a pretty plant, but um, if in the right spot, it chokes and smothers everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we don't want that. No. no. We're going to get to the malice that you brought in yep. in a mm. moment because you mentioned the malice just before. Uh, I'm going to give out our phone numbers because this is around about the time that everyone starts bombarding us with phone calls. 94190155 and the text message line is 0488809855. We've had a couple of people uh, text in. Peter from Notting Hills, a big thanks to Jane. Um, who, he says, identified a bulb flowering for me for the first time in the 32 years that he had owned it. It was sold as Brunsvigia Josephine. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say yep. the thing? Um, but she told me it was an amig... Amerigia. Amerigia. Uh, I now do have a Brunsvigia purchased at the recent Wandon Plant Fair, and I'm told it's is about five years to flowering. Yeah. Um, so the big Brunswickia Josephine that it's talking about is the big, what they call candelabra lily. It's the queen They're of beautiful. the Amarillo Daisy. Yeah. Huge, big red umbrella. Um, and the the photo that I was showed of it was of a, a smaller version, but pink. Um, and what he has is an Amarillo, which is a cross between a Belladonna, um, so your naked lady, mm. and a Brunswickia. Oh. So you get Amarillo in the middle. Oh, um, so that's Very what cool. he had, and and yes, it was. There's been a lot of those Amaragias sold as Joseph and A, just because a lot of people just didn't know, mm. um, basically what they had either. Yeah. And um, common names. Yeah. Yeah. So you get common names for something, and it's like, oh, it's that, and mm. it's not that. It's yeah. something else. Yeah. And it's which like, is it's a nice surprise, though. I, I don't y- mind. It doesn't. 
occasionally yeah. when you buy something yeah. and you think it's uh, some, sometimes you get something better than I, you thought you got. Yeah. Yeah. I think Tim was happy. Like he, um, it, it's just that it's nice to put a name to mm. what you've got. Yeah. Or, um, it helps, and, and you can research it, find out what it wants. Yeah. And that's fun at the flower the show when people come in and go, I've got this weird bulb, and they yeah. shove their camera, the phone in front of you. And you go, Do you know what this is? Yeah, it's like fun a contest. Challenges. It is yeah. a contest. Yeah. yeah, they're the yeah. best sorts of contests. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another message, Kim from Reservoir says, her grand always, loved ro- always had rosemary by the front door and smelt when it rained and... Um, she used to love it when she walked into her grand's place. Every house she has lived in, she always puts rosemary by the front door, and I smile when oh. I think of my grand. Oh, that's very sweet. Isn't that gorgeous? Yeah. Happy oh. Mother's Day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, we, let's no, before no. we get on to that, Malice, we've had someone, mm. we've had another caller call in. Uh, Lee from Merrick's North, good morning. Good morning. It's very um, cold down here, and everything's green and wet. <laughs> We needed some rain. So. Oh, we did, we did, but I'm bit over, getting a bit over it now. <laughs> um, tropiolum, I bought some from Stephen some years ago because as they were going up the fence, as you described, and looking spectacular, I think everybody that went into the nursery that day left with a pot or two. Mm. Um, it's good marketing, isn't it? Excellent, excellent. Um, and they were great for the first year, modest for the second year, I'm gradually losing them. So this year I've only got, I've got them now in three pots. I've knocked them out to see what's going on with the corms or the tubers, whatever they're called, those strange looking things. Um, I've only got one now that's running up the vegetable fence and the other two really haven't appeared and I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I'm, I lose them more than I'm getting them. So tips on how, about this. I know storing them dry and I've done that. I've repotted them in February and set them off again. I thought that that's not working. How deep is the pot that you're using? Oh, I don't know. They're probably six, eight-inch pots because the corms are not very big. Okay. Can you? Is the the one the tuber that's left? Is that like the size of your thumb or? Uh, uh, smaller than the smaller thumb. than that. Okay. Well, that one's. P- Possibly not going to flower. I'm suggesting that you need to add some food and things too. Um, the amount of growth that they put on, like we're listening to Greg sit here and say that it grows up through um, his deciduous trees and things. Yes, the, I'm envious. Absolutely yeah. envious. So from the size of a small potato, um, it can put on three or four metres of growth and there's got to be food come from somewhere for that to then go back into the plant and keep it sustained for the next year. Um, I've given them worm teeth. I thought I was spoiling them. Yeah, no, I'd really like you to give it one of the smelly ones, like Mm. um, blood and bone or uh, any of those organic um, pelletised. Like the the phosphate. Uh, Yeah. They need some phosphates Uh, in their diet. Yeah. Not super phosphates, I mean. I mean, just the actual, you know, the NPK that you look at in fertilisers. Yep. The bulbs... Yep. Like a, a few phosphates yep. and maybe less of the nitrogen in most cases. I'm not sure about the nasturtiums, though. They might not yeah, mind Yeah, I, I feed mine quite a lot mm. and um, they seem to really like it. I, I just think that your bulb's going backwards each year as you're describing. They certainly describing. Yeah. to be doing that and I, I, I missed them. I, I mean, I had a few flowers one year and shared the seeds with Virginia and I don't know how much success she's had with hers. They do grow from seed quite readily. 
generally if you collect it. Um, I've found too that shifting them can upset them sometimes. I think Ah. if you want a nice big healthy cluster, you're better off putting them in a nice big deep pot. So uh, it's not so much the width. I think it's more the depth that they seem to... Uh, I find they grow really well in deep polystyrene boxes and, yeah... Uh, like a deep terracotta? Deep, deeper terracotta yeah. pots and things like that. Um, yeah, and left under... So if you can get them sort of happy with where they're growing each year and then leave them for like five or six years, then they'll be everywhere in, the, in that pot. There'll be ah, there'll be little okay. pips and there'll be big sort of weird shaped tubers like a bent thumb and mm. and all sorts of and they'll be all over the through the pot they'll sort of run round and set inside the pot. Another interesting thing you probably don't want to try it yet because you can get your numbers up, but um, you can actually propagate them a little bit like dahlias by nicking the a fresh growth shoot off and putting it in like a cutting, and just like you can with dahlias mm. or potatoes, if, if you carefully cut it off the tube of the shoot. And oh, pop it in as a cutting, it'll grow its own root system and form its own bulb by the end of the season. And, uh, oh, the stems are about the size of a human hair. Yes, yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's a much finer work than doing dahlias and potatoes. So when the shoots come out of the tuber, this is probably more to the depth side of the things that you were talking about, their feeding roots come off the stem above where they grow from the tuber. So if they're too shallow, that gives them also less area that they can feed from because I think their feeding roots come off the main stem after it sprouts from the tuber. Okay. Um, so if they're nice and deep, that op- gives them a bit more opportunity to send out feeder roots before they get to the surface. And, uh, yeah, so feed. the tube is sitting about four inches deep is what is why yes, we're saying yep. the depth of the pot. Um, I think I've been altogether too delicate with it. I think you have. Yeah. Um, and as... I'll back Greg 150% there of that they don't particularly like being shifted a lot. They can sulk for a year too. Mm. Um, you can think that you've rotted it and tipped the pot out the next season and it's still there. They just have a bit of a sulk. Um, that's, that's, so, that's exactly what's been happening. So because if you can... Sure Stephen we, told me knock them out, repot them, fresh potting mix. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I do grow them sort of commercially and I do knock mine out every summer so that I know that they're drying off and I've not left them in the greenhouse somewhere. Um, but you do hear stories that they can be a little bit sulky and don't like it. So if, you, if, if they're happy, can, leave them. Yeah, just, yeah, and just top dress it. Yeah. yeah. That's a song, isn't it? If they're happy. And, <laughs> if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Yeah, that one. That one I know. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, thank you, team. Thank no, you. Worries. no worries. Thank you. All the best, Bye. Lee. Stay warm. Greg, let's get to the malice right, that so you're that the, if, if you've got a small, if you've got any garden and you've got a spare space um, and you haven't got a crab apple, you've got to get a crab apple. There's mm. so many crab apples that do so many amazing things. They flower, they fruit, they're nice shaped, they're autumn colour. Um, and some of them have all of those things. <laughs> yep. uh, this one, I don't... My one at home, anyway, doesn't flower, so it's it's Malus... I think it's pronounced Chinoski. Um, if you're keen on what it is, uh, Stephen recently posted it on one of his Instagram or Facebook accounts. So if you go to Stephen Ryan's uh, Instagram feed, for instance, and flick back a, through, a few posts, I, he, I think he did a, a post on the... Malus Chinoski a, a week or so ago, or a few days ago. I'm going to spell that out because it's a yes, funny spelling. Yeah. It's T S C H O N O 
S-K-I-I. That's it. So name, double I at the end of a botanical name's mean it's named after Mr. or Mrs., no, usually Mr. Um, yep. Chinosk. Mm. Yeah, and I'm assuming H. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but that, that's that's sounds what I was going hey, with. Yeah. Good that's better than yeah. what I would have done. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, as I say, this one isn't isn't one you would. Well, it's not one that I got because of its fruit or flowers. I think the flowers are just an ordinary apple blossom, mm. a white flower. Mine doesn't flower that much. Doesn't get much fruit on it. I'm not sure that the fruit colours, but um, I've seen pictures of them going red. But again, I don't have enough on them to really worry about that. But uh, so the, this one's more of I, I've got for a foliage tree. Mm. Uh, the leaves are somewhere between a hornbeam and a hamamelis in their shape. They've got uh, beautifully shaped, quite quite big, broad leaves for a crab apple. Um, for a crab apple, yes. Yeah, yeah, and it's sort of a your typical leaf shape, you know. Yeah, so it's a, like an yeah. I, I know what you think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah the, the crab apples are, as you say, they're, they're usually quite small, yeah. small leaf. This one's got a, a very large leaf. Um, it has a bluish, uh, grey sort of colour to it through the summer. So, uh, and the habit of the tree itself is upright. So it's it's a, a broad uh, upright habit. So it's a bit wider at the base, quite pointy at the top. Mm-hmm. Beautiful shaped tree. These silver green foliage on it all through the summer, and then in autumn it goes a bright orange, orangey reds, mm. and, and it's really red though. It, mm. And it, it doesn't hang on to its leaves as long as I would like, but uh, you get a bit of a show out of it. And again, like the Lindira, it'd be a great tree for if you wanted to plant an avenue in a tight space, or you didn't have much room for, or want to put pears in because pears aren't the best trees. In a lot of, <laughs> a lot of regards, <laughs> they're not. So, they're, so yeah, they're, they're not. there's a lot of the time you would think planting an upright pear would be a good idea. There's several crab apples that would be much better ideas than planting pears. It's the upright yep. pears, they sucker. You you dig a hole two meters away from the yep. base of the tree I heard and Chloe, they suck. Chloe say that they suck. Mm. <laughs> and and the a worst part bit. is that they snap. So when they yeah. uh, when pears get to a certain age, especially if you're in a windy area, mm. you're gonna lose a branch. And an upright pear, you can ruin the whole shape of the tree. And they have way better autumn foliage oh, than the better. ornamental yeah. pears and f- as well. A lot of the upright ornamental pears, the flowers aren't actually an advantage. Like no. they don't look very good at all. Not very good. It's sort of an off-white, and yeah. it's in the background. And yeah. uh, pears pears aren't great. I'm not no. a big fan of pears, but, no. but uh, if you crab want something in the same family. Same plant family. Yeah. Yeah. They're much better. And the the other thing about crab apples is that they're much more better suited to our growing conditions than a lot of things as well. So crab apples are tough little trees Mm. and they don't take a lot of water. Um, And like I say, they offer so much. There's there's some of the crab apples that they're, you know, you get like a burgundy leafed, bright sort of hot pink flowered thing with yeah. red fruit in autumn and then beautiful autumn color and totally. it's like what, what can you, how can you do better than that yeah. when you've got everything the only thing it isn't is evergreen <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yes but they're perfectly suitable replacement for the ornamental pears yes yeah they just the ornamental pears so the, the, the chinoski that i've got at home yep. is probably about four or five meters tall now it's about mm-hmm. 20 years old yep. um yep. it does sucker a little bit from the base but it's only around the graft I think it doesn't sucker out from yeah, the roots. You've just got to cut some, yeah. s- which is annoying, but um, it might have been whoever grafted it didn't do a very good job grafting. Sounds maybe. like it. Mm. Yeah. 
Uh, we've had a couple of text messages come in. So two questions on bulbs from someone who didn't give us a name. Um, how do I collect seeds from a recently flowered hot pink noreen in a small pot? I love it, but I'm a novice. Okay. Um, if it's finished flowering now and it's set seed, there'll be this sort of tri-lobed seed pod um, at the end. And they start off, that seed capsule will start green and then it'll um, go slightly brown and split and inside will be um, generally they're green through to a sort of burgundy purple um, and smaller than a pea. So your belladonnas are about a pea size but noreen seed is um, a bit smaller than that. Um, So when that's ready it'll just sort of fall out into your hand. Uh, and then you can sow that in a pot. You just push them into the surface so you can still see a little bit of the green or burgundy. Um, and then, yeah, so don't need to cover them. And then they can just stay out um, in a pot um, all winter anyway to do their thing. And, and the, the noreens are one of those ones that have fleshy seeds yeah. that don't store well. Yeah, so, so sow you're them off, as soon as you you're can. You're better off sowing yeah. them straight away. Yeah. yeah, if they're ready, get a pot and sow them and... Uh, the same person's asked another question. Do rats eat garlic planted in a garden patch? They've got a big problem in their inner north backyard. Could um, the rats be eating the garlic bulbs? Well, could well do. Yeah, um, I, don't, I guess I don't, that'd I don't be the most likely not. thing. Yeah. <laughs> if something's um, eating them, unless it's uh, another human. Um, <laughs> the rats are probably the only... Because onions aren't really a delicious plant for most things to eat, so... Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be rats or mice, I guess. Yeah, that would be uh, my suggestion too. Yeah. So we're sorry. Mm. Oh, I think we're L- losing the garlic. Yeah, that sucks. That sucks. Uh, another bit of a curly one for us potentially. Does anyone know anything about growing pistachio trees in inner north Melbourne? I don't. <laughs> I'll be the, the, really the honest. No, I don't. Pistachio <laughs> that I've grown is the ornamental one. The, yeah. Um, and. They grow quite well out in Woodend and Mount Macedon. Um, another beautiful small autumn tree, actually. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, not not uh, fruiting ones or, or, or in the northwest. I don't know anything about either of those it might be It might be a question for Penny, Penny Woodward or yep. Karen Sutherland when they're in next. Um, what I know about pistachio trees is they like those sort of semi-arid climates, needs to be hot most of the year around and it's that that cold and wetness combination that they don't like which mm. you might be able to create that microclimate in in a melbourne mm-hmm. um because you know the urban the glorious urban mm. heat island effect um you it might be worth having a go i don't know whether you need to have more than one tree for pollinating purposes um it would you can send us an email and one of us can look into it um, throughout the week, if yeah, you we want, pass one on to we could pass it on. We might pass it on um, yeah. and try to find an answer for you. Yeah, We're, sorry, it's a bit out of way out of my pay. Bit range. out of, yeah. bit <laughs> of out, out of our <laughs> league. But um, have a go. I wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't say no. Oh. They're a nice tree, and it would be worth it if mm. you had some success. Uh, we're running through till quarter past nine. Uh, we've got a little bit more time, Jane. Oh, they're fighting All over right, the place. Yeah. <laughs> fighting over, over the place. Well, the yeah. last thing I bought it in was, and I think I bought it in not long ago when I was in, was uh, Hydrangea Aspira Rocklon. But uh, this year, because of the excess rain that we had at home, 
uh, it's been one of the years where I, I don't, I really don't water it much at home. So it's, it's underneath a, an old fatinia hedge. Uh, the plant itself is, uh, three to four meters tall and near, and probably wider than that. So it's four or five meters wide. Uh, the leaves look like billiard table felt and, yeah. uh, can get, uh, some of the bigger leaves I'd say would nearly up to about a foot long, so 30 centimetres long. Um, and this year, because of the excess water, it, it gets big flowers when it gets watered well. So usually the flowers are only about 20 or 30 centimetres across, and this year they're over 30, maybe 40 centimetres across mm. some of them. And I've also noticed because of the cooler weather, weather that we've had, that the flowers, uh, aspirers aren't usually known for them hanging, looking any good once they've actually finished the fertile parts of their flowers. Uh, but this year, the whole bush looks really good because of the softer weather, so it's hung onto its petals, which are now sort of a, a, a limey green, mm. uh, mid-green, um, uh, but it's still got these massive big uh, 30, 40 centimetre wide flowers all over it uh, that have lost all their purple tones that they get uh, in in their flowering season, but still are making the, the whole bush... Overall, look really it's nice. It's still attractive yeah, all yeah. the way through. Yeah, and it's one of those ones where you, you basically just pick the flowers off. You don't have to prune it in any way. You just sort of take the old flower shoots off uh, until it gets big to the point where you can't do that anymore because you can't reach them anyway. <laughs> so you just let it be. So yeah, that that was the only other plant that I bought in. So. We're Jane, go really we've got quick. one time f- time for one yep. last plant for okay. you. Okay, um, just talking lacanovias. So everybody knows the old-fashioned soldier boys that their mums and grandmas had in their garden, so that's why I thought I'd do lacanovias today. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's lacanovia quadricolor. Now, they usually flower in sort of September, um, but I just wanted to let you know that you can get lacanovias that flower in the autumn as well. So here in the studio today, we've got um, lacanovia punctata, which... Um, is a is a that's very attractive in the leaves are um, green but with red spotty blotches. It's and like erythroniums. It does a bit, doesn't it? So um, it's one of the first to flower with us, even though the green form of um, orchidophorus is coming into growth already. But this one flowers early, so it's just lacanales are another South African bulbous thing that you can look into that um, are quite easy in a full sun, well drained spot in the garden or pots is great. Um, and your your season can go from basically um, middle of April all the way through to the end of October, early November. Mm. So um, we were talking about crocus going for mm. a long period of time. So um, Gl- gladys are even longer. It's yeah. a, a gladys summer in the world flowering pretty much every day. Yeah, like they flower all through the year, depending mm. on where in Africa they came from, tropical, uh, subtropical, yeah. Yeah, uh, temperate, whatever. Yeah, but species of things are. Uh, Fabulous, I think, and that's my little advice for the day. Go, <laughs> go for a species of yeah, something. Yeah, go for the species. Yep. I went up to Gentiana Nursery a couple of weeks ago with some uh, students doing a Dandenong Rangers excursion, and we went to we saw, we stopped by Craig Wilson's yep. nursery, and one plant that stood out in my head was a species form of cyclamen called Cyclamen graecum. Yep, just sitting. He had it sitting between two the basalt honeycomb yep. rocks and just the stunning foliage patterning it just dribbling of down the cyclamen. Yeah. Just, it was just perfect waterfall they in have the coolest the tuber too it looks like a beetroot whereas a lot of oh, other yeah. um, cyclamen are chunky just flat. ones yeah. rather than flat yeah, yeah. It, it's super cool isn't he fabulous yeah like, and great place to take the students I'm oh, glad to do that they were frothing like um, 
Yeah. Uh, like, the, what are these plants? <laughs> like, <laughs> we haven't talked about any of these in class. Yeah. I've yeah. never come across them before. Yeah. yeah, it was really cool. Oh, good. And a beautiful nursery, very clean, huge yeah. range of plants. Lovely. And he knows his stuff. Yeah. Like, he's a very clever he man. He does. So. He does. We had a really fun trip yeah. up there. And we're going to see Greg good. in a few weeks' time. Oh, I love that too. Yeah. 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 Well. yeah. yeah. So There's lots of fungi up there at the moment, so hopefully you'll have time to... Do you then quiz them after they've been through the garden? Is that the way? Oh, I'd love to, but I don't want to I stress them out enough. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jane, just before we head off, um, please give us uh, some details of how people can contact you or get your catalogue when it's going to come yep. out. Okay, so it'll be out at the end of May. If you'd like to get notification, can you email me at sales at tonkinsbulbs.com.au? Thank you very much, or 0417-525-371. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Thank you both for coming in today. Thank you. Enjoy your Sundays, and happy Mother's Day Day. to run out there. Have a good day. Have a nice lunch, and we'll see you later. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.